Would you open God's precious holy word to John chapter 4? We have come now to verse 27. It starts like this. In the Greek text, it says, translated, and upon this. And I put it in my translation over at the end of the first line in the paragraph. But what it means is, it means at this specific time, specifically. Those words are very important. I don't know of a word that's not important in the Bible. But let's recount the story that we saw last time. Christ and his disciples will walk about 20 miles to Sakar, which is a village in Samaria. Jews didn't go to Samaria. Even though on their trek, this was the shortest route, Jews would have preferred generally to have gone along the west, up the coastal plain or to the east through Perea. But if you'll remember, we saw at the very first in chapter one on down there, it said, it was necessary, it was necessary for Christ to go through Samaria. This is a, this is an example of the meticulous sovereign work in the lives of people. Just at the right time they left so that they would arrive in the area of Jacob's well. Christ would move on and wait for his disciples at Jacob's well. Just at the precise time they would go into the village to buy food and they would come back just at a precise moment. Christ, at just the precise time, was exhausted and slumped, showing us his humanity, and was thirsty. Just then, at an unusual time when women did not come to draw water at noon, which was the hottest time of the day, they would come at dusk. But this woman came so that she would be alone because she was always scorned. She was the talk of the town and everybody knew it. Just then, she arrives to lower her water pot down into the well to draw up water. And just then, Jesus said, give me a drink. She entered into an exchange with him about a Jew talking to a Samaritan, especially a woman. 
Christ, according to John at the end of his gospel, has set about for the purpose of salvation. This is what John writes at the end of his gospel. That John says, I've written these things so that you'll know that Jesus is the Christ and that uh, believing you'll have life in his name. It's the purpose of the gospel. So everything that's written by the power of the Holy Spirit through the apostle's pen is for the purpose of instruction and salvation. It's the Lord is our Savior. This example shows the absolute sovereignty of God. Just then in her dialogue with Jesus, she says certain things, he replies, and in the course of the conversation, Christ reveals his omniscience. Having never met the woman, he knew that she had had five husbands and that she was living with a man that wasn't her husband. And he was drawing her, and we saw this last time, he was drawing her into a conviction of her sin. You don't need a savior if you cannot be cognizant of your sin and your need for a savior. We, we come to Christ as sinners, hopeless sinners. And I suppose on a human scale, this woman would have been, especially on a Jewish scale, the worst of the worst. Number one, she was a woman and men generally didn't converse with women just out like that. Number two, she was a Samaritan. Samaritans were despised by Jews because Samaritans only had half Israelite blood or less. They had, they had intermarried through, by the force of the Assyrian Empire, but still they were intermarried. And so the Jews thought of them as dogs or worse than dogs. They wouldn't have anything to do with them. Samaritans also had a strange mixture of religion. They had some of, some of the Old Testament. They certainly knew Moses' law, but they had a weird worship. It was a false religion. It was a false worship. This woman it confessed to Christ along the way that her father's worshiped on this mountain and that you Jews think that the only place to worship is on that mountain and Christ said salvation is of the Jews and that's because the Jews are the ones who gave us the Old Testament, the scriptures, and they are the ones who provide the Messiah for mankind. Well, anyway, they go on and the woman perceives that he's a prophet. She begins to see that there's something to this. And she says, you know, we know when Christ explained to her that hers, he was implying to her that hers was just a false religion. False religion, people don't need to dabble in, in, in religion, false religion. 
So she's coming around. She said, I see that you're a prophet. Well, that meant that she understood that he had come from God because he had said something. He revealed her life to her that she otherwise would have kept hidden and she had never seen him. And she knows that he doesn't know this except that it would be revealed divinely. And she enters into a little bit deeper conversation and she says, we know that when Messiah comes, he will tell us everything. He will teach us all things. To which Christ responded, I'm he. I'm the Messiah. And then she got happy. Now, that brings us to the, in the Greek text, to these first three words, kai epi to And upon this, at this time, specifically at this moment, at what moment? When, when she was moved into believing in Christ and he had revealed himself as the savior of the world. Get the, it's not irony really. Get the providence of the moment. He didn't first reveal himself as the Messiah Otherwise, except here, to a Samaritan woman. And then to the Samaritans who would come. All of this working, and just then, just at the precise, correct, divinely appointed moment, just then, his disciples came. Now to them, this was kind of strange. The one whom they'd been following for some months and had been teaching them was speaking at a well at a strange time of day to a Samaritan woman. They were amazed that he, oops, I added an extra that when I was writing all this down. They were amazed that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, what do you, what do you have to, what do you seek? Or why do you speak with her? They didn't, obviously this was going through their minds, but they didn't say a word. Do you know why they didn't say anything? They had come to trust Jesus. If Jesus is doing it, he has a purpose for it. Just then, when Jesus had told the woman, I am the Messiah, just then, they come at, now if they'd come, if they'd come a little bit earlier, it would have interrupted the whole conversation. And the bottom line would have gotten confused and messed up. If they had come a little later, the woman would have already gone and they wouldn't have understood that there had been this exchange between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. But it was kaepituto, it was just upon this. Just then. And they didn't ask any questions. They were a little confused. But even in their confusion, they didn't say anything. No one asked a question because they trusted Jesus. This is going to be a tremendous, tremendous teaching moment. Now, 
taking the whole of the event. There are many other ways, but there are four ways here in this story that Jesus proves his credentials as being the Christ of God, the Messiah. There are four things that we're going to extract from this overall text that we're looking at here today. So the woman left her water pot. Doesn't say why. I've, I've heard preachers preach on that and they would surmise this and surmise that. Maybe because it was such a long dip down to the water, maybe she, Jesus was thirsty. Maybe his disciples were thirsty. So she left it maybe for them. I don't know. But that's, that's not germane to the point, see. So, so she left her water pot. Okay. Well, also means she's in a hurry. And went away into the city and said to the men. Now this is unusual. It's unusual for women to do this. Especially unusual for the despised scarlet letter woman of the village to do it. But she said to the men. Now this would have been the men sitting in the gate. And they were the. They were like the elders of the city. They were the rulers of the city. They were the town council or whatever. And she said to them. Come, see a man who told me all things I ever did. So when she does this, she's not doing this to tell them something. She's wanting them to see for themselves because she knows they will draw the same conclusion. So... Number one, this is how Christ reveals his, himself as Messiah. Number one, he is, he is sovereign in the situation. I just described to you how this whole thing has taken place and everything was meticulously timed. Just then this happened. Just then that happened. And then just then the disciples and then just then she leaves and then Christ still being refreshed with his disciples nearby the village. She plants this idea into the minds of these men. Can it be that this is the Christ? See a man who told me everything that I ever did. I don't know the guy. Never seen him before. He sat there. And told me my life's story. And she could proclaim, you know, he told me things that I don't want anybody to know, but you guys know probably. But I'm not ashamed of it anymore because I found Christ. I'll tell you everything. I don't care. Because I found Christ and that's all that matters. So can this be the Christ they went forth out of, the, out of the city and came unto him. Now, in the meantime, the disciples were concerned about Jesus who is famished. And they said to him, Rabbi, eat. Then he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know. 
Therefore, the disciples were saying to one another, did anybody bring him something to eat? You know, they sometimes you just ought to be be quiet and sit still until you get the end of the story. I think Pat gets mad at me sometimes because I'll be watching something and I can see where it's headed and I'll just go on to something else. I already got it figured out. A lot of people are like that in sermons, you know. I'll see where this guy's headed, so I'm going to daydream and maybe take a nap a little bit and the, the last song will wake me up. They have these crazy thoughts now, this is God in the flesh. <laughs> you know Jesus knows how to feed himself. He could say, there's a rock, I'll turn it into a loaf of bread. Or he could say, I think I want some manna from heaven, I'll just let it fall. Or he could have said, I want to I wanna eat a, a dove so I'll just let an angel bring it to me already cooked. I mean, he could do anything he wanted to do. And they needed, they were growing in their trust, but they still, you know, they still were struggling with, with their humanity as well. Did somebody bring him something to eat? Because he says, I have food to eat that you don't know. So they're thinking, he has some cakes in his robe and he's not showing us. He's... He's hidden something from us and he's not wanting to make us feel bad because we went all the way into the village and did all this shopping and brought all this food back. There's, you know, there crazy things are running through their minds. Jesus says, I have food to eat that really, if you, if you look at the text and, and the way that it's written, it means you do not, you never will know. Only Christ could eat the food of which he spoke. Only Christ. So then it goes on. And this brings us to the second, the second thing that reveals Christ as Messiah. And it is his focus. First his sovereignty, then his focus. Jesus said to them, now he explains what he means. My food is that I should do the will of the one having sent me and should finish his work. Now what, what is God's work? God's work is the redemption of his people. That's God's work. There is only one who could come to be the redeemer, only one, the only begotten son of God, no other, none other. And Jesus says, I have food you don't know anything about. You'll never be able to eat off that plate. This is my food and my food is to be focused. I'm energized and I am refreshed when I am doing the will of the one who sent me and I will finish this work. Nobody else could do that. That's his food. That's, that's what Christ has to do. 
So the second thing that reveals him as the Messiah is his focus. His focus on doing the will of the Father. Accomplishing what no one else could accomplish. The third thing. The third thing is here. Do you not say it is yet four months and the harvest come? I'm going to call this. I'll call this his omniscience. Do you not say it is yet four months and the harvest comes? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and see the fields because they are already white toward harvest. Now, let me tell you what Christ would do. These people, they get all dressed up and they're wearing their robes. All their robes practically were white, some dingier than others. But the woman now has had time to get to the village. She has just talked to the elders of the city. And they may perhaps have said something, but the villagers are coming out. They are coming to see the one that this woman says is the Christ. All they had to do, the disciples, was to look toward the village and people were coming. They were dressed in white. Most of them wore white robes. And here they were coming everywhere. Look up. Look at the fields. They're already white toward harvest. So in his omniscience, Christ knew who he would save. The one reaping receives a reward and gathers fruit unto eternal life so that the one sowing and reaping may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one is sowing and another is reaping. I send you to reap what you have not toiled for. Others have toiled and you have entered into their labor. Now let's think about that just a minute. The woman referenced her knowledge of the law of Moses. And the Samaritans knew the law of Moses. Included, of course, in the law were the Ten Commandments. And among those Ten Commandments was, you shall not commit adultery. Which was a sin that Christ had pinpointed in the life of this woman. And she came under conviction. And in that conviction, she comes to believe in Christ, confessing her sin. She, believed, she said, wow. You know everything about me. All right, so what brought the situation to that point, which includes this woman and her salvation and those who are coming from the village to come to Christ? Well, let's start with Moses, the lawgiver. Moses would have had a part in this. The woman had said and she had confessed, we know that Messiah is coming and when he comes, he'll tell us everything. So the prophets who taught of the coming Messiah had a part in this. Maybe John the Baptist had a part in this. I don't know that for sure. But Jesus had a part in it. But the one 
who is sowing, there is one in particular who is sowing in, in the context of which Jesus is speaking, namely, the harvest is coming, would be the woman. All that she had heard, all that she knew and she had understood, it all comes together now in the person of Christ. Remember, remember this, when we talk about the sovereignty of the movement of Christ here. This woman had no idea that she would be coming and that someone would be waiting there at the well. It was just a routine, mundane task for her to avoid everybody and to stay alone. And to avoid all of the scorn and, and, and ugly talk that people would spin her way. She just wanted to stay to herself and here's this guy. She doesn't even know him. Last time we made the contrast between her and Nicodemus. Nicodemus knew him. He had heard him. He had seen his miracles. And he, he comes to Christ knowing that Jesus is the one he wants to speak to. Not this woman. She had never heard of him. But Christ came to her specifically. And this woman in that encounter with Christ is flooded with knowledge that she hadn't really had before, but she puts it all together now by the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ testifying to her and now she testifies. She testifies to those who are in the village. She's excited. She's had a horrible life. She sees no reason to think that she'll have any life beyond this life until Christ came in. And Christ gave her new life and he un unlocked, he opened her mind to sporadic things that she had learned. Law of Moses, prophets, and the Messiah. But now, he brings her to the thought of living water. If you had known to whom you speak, you would have asked him for living water. And that living water would just spring forth and well up into eternal life. If you'd known, then he told her everything about her life and finally reveals himself as the Christ. She becomes a believer and tells others, this is the excitement of being born again from on high. The excitement of a new life is to tell others what we have found, what we have come to know. Now the disciples, they're just happy to be there, you know? Christ said, you know, you really didn't work in any of this, but you get to enter into their labor and you're going to enjoy a part of this. They're going to witness something that's new and different and of all places, of all of the people who would first proclaim Christ as the savior of the world, it would be Samaritans. The Jews would have never done it. They didn't believe that they needed a savior. Gentiles would have had no knowledge at that point of, of, of a Jewish God or 
or the Old Testament, but the Samaritans were, were a little different on that. So Christ extends this blessing. He's sovereign, he's focused, he's omniscient, he knows everything, and here's why. Christ said, they're gonna come, you just watch. They're gonna come, and here they come. Out of that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him. The fourth thing that reveals him as the Messiah is the power of his word. Many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman testifying, he told me all things I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they were asking him to abide with them. He stayed there two days. Do you know you will never see this in any other part of his ministry? But he stayed with the Samaritans two days. What do you think he did? He taught them. They could listen as he taught his disciples. The real Christ will come the first time and suffer. And you need to be saved by the power of the Christ, not by your self-righteousness or the works of the law. And then the Christ will come a second time in power and in glory to teach people that there was no such thing as self-righteousness. There's no way for a person to save himself. He must come to Christ, even like this Samaritan woman. It doesn't matter. Whatever is in your life, it doesn't matter. We're all sinners and we need to come to Christ and be saved, be forgiven. Christ came to her. He came seeking her. Paul writes to the Romans, he said, he said no, nobody seeks after God. It's the power of God that draws us to himself, but nobody seeks after God. Case in point, this woman wasn't seeking after Christ, but he came seeking her. And everything according to the divine and sovereign will was worked out in this whole story. So the power, the last thing, the power of his word. He told me all things I ever did. So when the Samaritans came, they were asking him to stay. And he stayed there for two days. And many more believe that's in those additional two days. What did Christ just told his disciples? Just watch. A whole lot of sowing has already been gone on. There's going to be a whole lot of reaping. Just watch. The fields are white to harvest. So in those two days, what happens? Many more believed because of his word. You can't separate it from the word of God. And they were saying to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you told us. For we ourselves have heard. And we know that this is truly the savior of the cosmos. It wasn't a Pharisee. It wasn't the Sanhedrin. It wasn't the high priest. It wasn't the priesthood. It wasn't anybody among the Jews who first acknowledged Jesus as the savior of everything. 
He'll even refit, recreate, and make a new heaven and a new earth at the end of all things. Because he is the savior of the cosmos. That's what the word says up there. Everything is in his power. We ourselves have heard and we know he is the savior of everybody and everything. Those four proofs come out in this part of the story. How Christ not only said that he was the Messiah, but he proved it in this event. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he came into this world to save sinners. According to the scriptures, if you will admit that you're a sinner, believe in Jesus. Call on him to save you. For the word says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And God is bound by his word to save you. And it's proof that God has come seeking you and draws you to himself. In just a moment, we'll stand and sing our song of invitation. If you want to come to Christ today, if you would come to Christ in the act of standing, you can come and take me by the hand and just say, Pastor, I want to be saved. Let me pray with you. Or as you leave, we have deacons and wives in rooms just across the hall. And they're there to pray with you about salvation as well, if you'd prefer that. Secondly, if God leads you to come and be a part of this congregation, be a member of this church, you can come publicly here during this time of invitation, or as well, you can step into the one of the rooms on the way out and speak to the deacons. And we'll take care of all of the details if as a Christian you want to come and be a part of Shiloh. That's the invitation. Father God in heaven, bless this invitation as you see fit in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing, okay?